Um, you remember that a couple of weeks ago I turned to this chapter, the story, the account concerning Moses, and then I looked at the account concerning Isaiah and Abraham and said that they are uh, lessons that we can learn from for ourselves. And uh, I didn't actually share what I originally turned to these verses, Exodus 3, 13 to 15, uh, to share. I didn't actually share with them. So I returned to the verses again to um, begin to share what was in my heart to share. But I'm still not going to share it because as I've gone to these verses again, I just felt drawn again. And I believe it was by the Holy Spirit to just bring something uh, that comes from those verses in a sense. And it's been summed up a little bit in that story that the children have listened to and I trust we listened to as well when the prophet Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal as to whose God was the God, the true and the living God. I noticed when the excuses were coming out for why the, the, the Baal wasn't coming to answer his prophets, they give a few little excuses there. If you know anything about translations of the Bible, if you go back to the Living Bible, which was the Bible which the New Living Translation came out from, it actually says, maybe your God is stuck in the toilet <laughs> or gone to the toilet. He wasn't in, in Christian, was he? But Elijah's God was the true and living God. And as these verses remind us in uh, Exodus chapter 3, he is the one, our God is the one who always has been and is and always will be. Uh, and as I read the verses again, and I contemplated what this call was for Moses to go down into Egypt, um, it reminded me of some other verses of scripture and the reason for it I'll bring in a moment and I went to Psalm 103 and verse 8 and if you're wondering where I got all these little yellow bits in here for I haven't actually written my scriptures down I want to turn to them this morning and so Psalm 103 and verse 8 it says there the Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and then Psalm 51 and verse 1 have mercy on me O God according to your steadfast love according to your abundant mercy blot out my transgressions and the story that we see here in Exodus chapter 3 reveals to us who the true and living God is but it also reveals to us that he cares for his people and as I considered the children of Israel and I see their plight then I read what God speaks to Moses and that God is going to respond to their plight that he is a merciful and he is a gracious God. And those are the thoughts that just gripped me as I began to consider this again. Our God, the true and living God, he is a gracious God and he is a merciful God. We discover here when he comes to Moses that he's going to bring about the means of their deliverance or their salvation 
from the land of Egypt, from the cruelty of the Pharaoh. He is going to bring them out from the land where they are pitiful and he's going to take them to a land that is plentiful. He's going to deliver them from a land where they're struggling with making straw bricks to a land that was going to be filled with stupendous blessing. Such was the God of Israel. And as I further considered this story, I was reminded that the one and only true and living God, as we see from the two Psalms that I've read as well, is a God who is full of love, is a God who is full of mercy, is a God who is full of compassion, and is a God who is full of grace. And if we ever needed any other verses, we can go to the New Testament and we can read there that well-known scripture, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. That's how wonderful, how vast, how immense, how great his love is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then to 1 John, and this is a scripture I've used so much in the devotions because God has just blessed me with this scripture from 1 John chapter 4 and verses 9 to 10. And it says that in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. They remind us, don't they, that our God is full of love, he's full of mercy, he's full of compassion, and he's full of grace. And we could highlight so many other scriptures that remind us of all that God has done for us and all that God has become to us as we've placed our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just had to choose one example, and I've gone to Ephesians chapter 2, because to me it's just an amazing scripture that reminds us of God being full of love, full of mercy, full of compassion, and full of grace. And first we read in verses 4 to 7, But God being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And then we drop down a few more verses to 13 to 22. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He who has made us both one and has broken down in this flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us 
both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. These are amazing verses that remind us of God's love, mercy, compassion and grace and we could spend forever talking about the love of God and the mercy of God and of the compassion of God. But this morning I just want us today to consider something of the wonder of his grace. And there is something of all four of these thoughts, his love, mercy, compassion and grace that knit or fit so closely together and in fact we could take them and we could add them all together like the ingredients as we would mix for a cake and I respectfully use this this morning but I put it this way if we take them and mix them together we will always come up with God for they are some of the very essence of who God is. For he is love. He's not just a God of love. He is love. And he's not just a God of mercy. He is mercy. And he's not just a God of compassion. He is compassion. And he's not just a God of grace. He is grace himself. And if we wanted further proof, we just need to look at Jesus. And, the, 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 and these very same characteristics oozed from him as he lived his life here on earth as, as he walked Judea and Galilee. For as we look at the life of Jesus, we find that he loved the whosoever. He showed mercy to the whosoever. He showed compassion to the whosoever. And his grace was available to the whosoever and we could go into the gospels we could pull up examples from each one of them of individuals who met with the Lord Jesus Christ they didn't deserve his love they didn't deserve his mercy they didn't deserve his compassion they didn't deserve his grace but he loved them he showed mercy toward them he showed compassion towards them and his grace was available to them so perhaps as I talk about the abounding and the amazing grace of God, at the same time, it does speak of his love and it does speak of his mercy and it does speak of his compassion. Now the grace of God is revealed or demonstrated throughout scripture, right from Genesis through to the book of Revelation. And grace is showing his favour even when the recipients are undeserving of it. Even when we don't deserve it. He loves us. Shows his mercy. Shows his compassion. Shows his grace. It's a picture of every one of us. Every single one of us inside these doors. But let's remember it's a picture of everybody outside the door as well. Not one 
is deserving. Yet God is willing to pour out his grace upon us. That amazes me. That's why we call it amazing grace. And he not only pours out his grace upon us, but he pours his grace into us. Isn't that wonderful? Upon us and in us. And I'm just going to look at three examples this morning in the book of Genesis. Not because I didn't get any further, but because I knew that time wouldn't allow me to go any further. But there are three examples that I, I, I want to look at in the book of Genesis. And we're going to go right back to the beginning of time. And we know what happened with Adam and Eve. They were created in the image of God. They were perfect in every way. They were placed in the Garden of Eden. And what an awesome responsibility God gave them to be in charge, the caretakers of all that God had created. But we know that it wasn't long that Adam and Eve fell into transgression. And I want us to understand this morning that immediately that Adam and Eve fell into transgression, God's grace immediately sprung into action. And that's the wonder of the grace of God. He could have just banished them from the garden to remain lost, to remain hopeless, until the moment that death captured them. But no, immediately God demonstrated to them glimpses of his grace. For we discover that they tried to hide their sin. They tried to hide their shame. They even tried to hide from God himself. And to do this, they attempted to cover up with garments that were made from fig leaves. But God came. And God prepared something far better for them. He prepared skins from animals. And this was preempting the fact that because of his grace, one day a future sacrifice would take place. Not just as an atonement for Adam and Eve, but for all who would re respond by faith to his grace and mercy that would be demonstrated through Christ at Calvary. And alongside that, as we read in the scriptures, as God cursed the serpent, Adam and Eve would have listened on to what God had to say to the serpent. And they would have heard a promise of his grace in Genesis 3.15, where we read there of these verses that says, um, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And so we find here God's grace was being revealed that the future seed would, was speaking of a future reference to the Lord Jesus Christ who was going to come into this world and he was going to damage and to destroy Satan. As I said, I can't go to every reference because time doesn't allow it. But we just fast forward a few chapters on and we come to Genesis chapter 6. Again, it's a story that we know so well. We perhaps call it Noah and the Ark. But if we come to verses 5 to 8, this is what we read. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth 
and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him <coughs> to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. That verse 8 is an important verse. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. See, the word favour in verse 8 tells us that despite what God was going to do, the judgment he pronounced with the flood to destroy everything off the face of the earth, the word favour tells us that God was going to act with grace towards Noah and as we see later in verse 18, towards his wife and toward his sons and their wives. And so we know the story. He was to build an ark and the ark would be the means of their salvation. But what I want to suggest again this morning is just that God didn't have to exercise grace in the Garden of Eden. He didn't have to exercise grace here in the time of Noah. But then I have to say, he did. He did have to exercise grace. See, being God, he could have destroyed all and then started all over again. But because of the promise he had made in the garden concerning the seed, it was necessary to save someone. Because the seed needed to continue. The line needed to continue. The bloodline needed to be followed. And it was through his grace shown to Noah that the promised future grace could still one day be made available when Christ went to Calvary. And you imagine the situation here in Genesis 6. Imagine this morning how full of gratitude that Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives would have been over the demonstration of God's grace that would save them from the same fate as the rest of humanity. We can learn a lesson from that. God has saved us. Think of the fate of lost humanity. They're going to be lost forever in hell from the presence of God. But we're going to be in his presence. His grace has saved us. His grace has delivered us. And therefore our hearts should be overflowing. We should be full of gratitude. Full of thanksgiving. And full of praise. Because of what God has done for us. I can imagine Noah as well. Although his heart would have been full of gratitude. And thanksgiving that God had deemed to save him and his family. 
but I can also imagine him standing on the ark and watching the rain coming down and watching the waters beginning to rise and I can see Noah looking out and I can see him seeing men, women, boys and girls and even the animals struggling and scraggling and gripping onto whatever they could to try to save themselves from the flood that was coming but realising there was no chance. They were lost, hopelessly lost forever. And so on the one side, he was grateful for the grace of God that had been granted to him and yet sorrowful for those that were being flooded and drowned and going to a lost eternity. And likewise for us, as we rejoice in the grace of God that has saved us, we should also be looking out and we should be sorrowful for those outside who at this moment are lost and they are perishing and they too are going to be gone to a lost eternity. So we need to appreciate the grace of God. But we need to show concern for those that are lost at this moment. And again, as I consider this, we can be so judgmental today, can't we? And we can look out in this world today and see their sin and everything else that they're falling into the grip of. And yet we need to say, it's there but for the grace of God. Go on. He saved us from it. What amazing grace. Then we move on to another example. We'll go to Genesis 19. Um, what I wanted to share starts in chapter 13 really but chapter 19 is where we're going to go to and it's an example of Lot I'll read chapter 19 verses 15 to 17 as the morning dawned the angels urged Lot saying up take your wife and your two daughters who are here lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city but he lingered so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valleys. Escape to the hills, lest you be swayed, swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favour in your sight and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life but I cannot escape to the hills lest the disasters overtake me and I die behold this city is near enough to flee to and it is a little one let me escape there is it not a little one and my life will be saved and he said to him behold I grant you this favour also that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoah. If you go backwards in this account, you'll find that Lot and his family, they were found in an awful and a desperate situation. But we need to note that Lot put himself there by his own choosing because when Abraham gave him the choice as to which of the land he looked upon did he want to go to 
he chose what he thought was the best. It looked the greenest. It looked the most pleasant. It looked as if it was going to be the most fruitful for him. But in taking that route, he ended in trouble. Because when he got there, he found that the people were wicked. That which was evil was being done amongst them. But thank God he had an uncle who prayed for him. He had an uncle who prayed for him. And his uncle had a God who was the true and living God. And the true and living God heard his uncle. And God responded with grace and made a way of escape available for Lot and his wife and family. All they needed to do was follow the simple instructions that were given. And so do we. We've just got to follow the simple instructions that are given. Because all that is necessary has been done for us. Christ has done it at Calvary. We just have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will be saved. And it's by his grace. And through faith. We are saved. One little point there. With Lot. His wife responded to the grace that was available. But the story says that she set out with Lot on the journey that would have led her to complete deliverance. But she failed to obey the ongoing instruction. And she looked back. And scripture says she became a pillar of salt. And as God's grace has reached us, and as we too have set out on the journey, we need to keep looking forward. Looking to Jesus. No looking back. We need our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And I'm not going to go into too much detail as to what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. We know the story very well. But it's an example of, that is so relevant for the world in which we're living in today and in particular with the month in which we're going through the month of June which is as we know has been taken over and uh, been bombarded with all this nonsense that they call Pride Month our world has become like Sodom and Gomorrah Sodom and Gomorrah. You can't escape it at this moment. You go into the shops. We went into a supermarket yesterday and as it was coming through the, the, the stuff they put over the loudspeaker, it was coming through constantly, constantly, constantly. All this pride nonsense that the world is trying to draw us into. Thank God that he's a God of grace and mercy. Thank God he's a God of grace and mercy. And his grace is available for the whosoever. And for those that celebrate this month, those that are involved in the wickedness of this month, God's grace is available to them. And as he has changed us and transformed us, he can save them and transform them as well. And in the words of the Hebrew writer, 
what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell off, and we could go into so many more accounts in the Old Testament and again into the New Testament. And the list would be so long. Examples that demonstrate to us that the great I am, am who spoke to Moses through the bush that burned but was not consumed is a God of grace. Amazing grace and abundant grace. And I've listed those examples. As I've said, I could list so many more examples. But for me this morning, the greatest and the best example is that I can say this morning that His grace found me. Because I was a sinner. I was lost. I was hopeless. I was on the road that leads to destruction. But the grace of God found me and saved me. Amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. The grace that we see portrayed and demonstrated through the pages of Scripture. It found me and it has found you this morning. But if you don't know Jesus this morning, it might be that you're here this morning and you've never made that commitment. You've never committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never followed the instructions and believed on him and been saved. Then his grace is available this morning to reach into your heart, to reach into your life and to save you and to transform you. He's a God of grace, of amazing grace, of abundant grace. And aren't we grateful? Aren't we grateful? I am. For your grace has found me.